everyone. Welcome to the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast with Brent Hubbs, Jesse Simonton, and Rob Lewis. Brent Hubbs, along with Austin Price. The whole gang's all here. Glad to have you along with us on this Friday as we'll get to the mailbag in just a couple of minutes. But uh, Jesse, let's start with you a little bit, your takeaway from uh, what Commissioner Sankey said. We heard from Philip Fulmer earlier in the week. Uh, Commissioner Sankey had a teleconference on Wednesday, didn't completely wipe out the notion of spring football practice, although that seems unlikely. Any takeaway you had from Commissioner Sankey's teleconference? Uh, I mean, the fact that he didn't want to completely rule out the April 15th restart date, but then immediately acknowledged that the CDC's report that, you know, six to eight weeks, they'd think that uh, the suggestion is to limiting a gathering of less than 50 people. He, you know, he acknowledged the difficulties of making that a reality in terms of a football practice. And, and so I think we're all under the assumption that April 15 day is going to come and go. Teams are not going to be practicing. And, and that's why you're seeing most stories right now and, and, and talking to folks and reading stuff. They think that, you know, there's a legitimate chance college football doesn't come back until maybe, you know, July 1st, but pr- perhaps even August 1. And what sort of, you know, difficulty and, and, and kind of repercussions does that present? And, and that's a whole, you know, different, you know, set of conversations and what we're obviously currently having, you know, right now at the middle of March. You know, Rob, I think it's interesting. I know you've talked to Coach Barnes and the basketball people. All the, There's so much talk about spring football and about football and when's football coming back. You, in talking to some basketball folks, they have the same concerns, that they may not get any contact with their players until late summer as opposed to, to maybe early summer at this point. Isn't that kind of the basketball vibe out there? Yeah, big concern. And, you know, I mean, it pales in comparison, obviously, to, you know, what's going on at large. But right now with the season over, I mean, this is this is the time of year when Rick Barnes would be spending, you know, eight hours a day in the gym with, with guys just drifting in for individual workouts. I mean, obviously, player development is a huge part of this program, and and that is very much on hold at the moment. And then just, you know, I, I know you, you touched on it, academics. I mean, I don't think Tennessee has any guys that they're really concerned about, but, you know, how you know what happens on that end? The guys kind of, you know, lose touch, lose focus. And just, you know, simply not being on campus, not being part of the program. I mean, it's just a – I mean, the the coaches, I mean, they understand, obviously, but I mean, it's just a very weird place for them to be at, just to, total disruption. And, and Austin, I mean, you can sense, I mean, Philip Fulmer on Monday did not have a great boy, a bit of frustration, although he did acknowledge he would like to have, wishes they would have had better communication with the NCAA. Sankey kind of skirted around that, but did allude to the fact that there was some moments where communication wasn't really good at, at this point. The, the, the problem it seems like everybody's having right now is people want decisions, but th- what's the timeline to properly make a decision, whether it's academic waivers, whether it's um, when you might get back in contact with people, whether it's extra eligibility for student athletes out there as well. Well, I mean, there's just a lot of questions. You're right. I mean, just from the, you know, what do they do about the winter athletes? Obviously, the spring ones kind of make sense. I mean, they, they just got their whole season wiped out. Um, the, the winter the winter sports seem unrealistic at this point. And, uh, and then you go into, you know, spring football, you know, recruiting, all that stuff. And then you throw in the academics upon on, on top of that. And there's just a lot of questions like, you know, how, how realistically can you hold an athlete's, you know, feet to the fire when they're used to getting – you know, the proper 
uh, tutoring at the Thornton Center, and all of a sudden that's taken away from them. Now, granted, they still have an, a, a chance to do the online work, um, and probably is a little easier to do an online test than it is to, you know, you know, be sitting there, you know, in in the classroom, you know. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it's, it's it, I just don't know how much you know fire you can hold to someone's feet, you know, when they're used to getting a certain standard of of, of assistance. And that's not just here at Tennessee. That's across the board, across college college athletics in general. So, um, and then you throw in the the fact that we talked about this the other day. The the questions about like you know there are no ACT testing right now. Somebody that's a point or two short. You know how how does each school finish the semester? You know, I mean, do they do they finish it you know all in the in, in the same way, or or are there varying efforts uh, across the landscape where maybe one school says, hey. When we left the classroom, you had a B, you know, you, you want that B, you can call it, call it a day, or you can continue on and see if you can raise your grade. You know, th- does that happen? Who, I mean, who knows how all the, an- the questions get answered over the next couple of months, but it just seems like we're a long way away from getting any of those answers. I do, I do think that Philip had a very, you know, that was probably one of his better press conferences since he's become Tennessee's athletic director. I thought he had a measured tone. And, and I thought that, you know, he kind of understood the weight uh, of everything and that, you know, some of the, the competitive concerns, wh- whether it be recruiting or extra practice time or whatever, that kind of pales into the importance of both folks staying healthy and, and kind of, you know, h- how do we kind of deal with the what we know now, but also, you know, kind of answering Hubs's academic concerns that that's kind of at the forefront of what folks are dealing with. How do these you know, kids continue to get their education. What happens in terms of, which is still an ongoing question, what happens in terms of, you know, nutrition? You know, some of these guys are now, the majority of them are off campus. You know, how, how do they continue to be, pro, you know, properly fed? Many of whom come from backgrounds where that's uh, a difficult proposition. And these, I do think it helps, kind of Jesse, awesome. though. I do think it helps that they can go and pick up the meals on campus and then take them back to their apartment. That, that's a huge step, in my opinion. That, that that that's a huge deal. But how many of these kids also have gone home? You know, yeah. I mean, there's yeah, and that's right now that that we don't know. You know, that that it's kind of a um, a floating figure because they are not allowed to go in and you know work out at the facilities. Many gyms across the you know state and country have been, have been closed as well. So how do you kind of continue to maintain the conditioning and workout stuff that? Uh, Fitz is done. And again, this is a problem that every school across the country is having to deal with right now, not just Tennessee. All right, let me ask this question before we get into mailbag questions. Last one. Let's obviously taking away the health and well-being of the student-athlete and and, and everybody in general. That's the whole priority, or it better be the whole priority. If you're a coach and you're looking at it from the performance, the development, the stability of your program – what is your biggest concern right now? Is it academics first and foremost? Is it extra eligibility? If you're a coach, what's the is it recruiting? What's the biggest concern question that you have on your mind taking away the general health and welfare? Well, for me, I would go academics one, recruiting two, and then go down the line from there. I think the academic part is something, you know, it's easy to think they're going to rubber stamp this stuff and, and grant waivers. But it's CNCAA. There are no definites. Um, and, and then recruiting, like how does this shape things? Again, you've seen Ohio State get this huge run. I think, you know, 
there's a notion out there that's being kind of, you know, pointed towards certain recruits, you know, hey, you know, with this virus, who knows about visits and official visits? I mean, you know, and it's not necessarily a scare tactic, but it's a, you know, to plant a seed of doubt to, to maybe usher a kid to get in, in, into the boat sooner rather than later, which is why Mike had the, the comments about how he might see a lot of decommitments uh, once, you know, the recruiting uh, stuff gets lifted. But, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, just there's so many questions about that, but I would still start with academics because you just never know how all this plays out and you don't have that constant help of the Thornton Center. There's a difference between online tutoring and tutoring there in the Thornton Center. Well, yeah, just to, really, go ahead. Go ahead. Rob. I was just going to throw in a pile on the recruiting, specifically on the basketball side. And, and, you know, this is not just Tennessee. Everybody's dealing with it. But Tennessee had three big official visits lined up that would have taken place, you know, when, whenever their season ended. One um, with Musa Cisse, the big man out of Memphis, five-star guy, top 10 national player. He was in, in the works to be on campus, you know, here sometime in March or early April. And he is a guy that is very possibly going to try to reclassify into 2020. So, you know, again, everybody's dealing with it. Does he, and, and you know, for kids that, like that that are thinking about reclassifying, what does the whole shutdown do to, you know, that, that whole, that whole process? I mean, how likely is it that they can, they can get done what they need to get done? Well, I think another domino effect of this, just in terms of the recruiting world and hubs, it hubs his piece earlier this week, touched on it a little bit uh, with, Fer- with some of the comments from Farrell, but just kind of expanding on it. Yes, I think you may see a bunch of decommitments happen, you know, once knock on wood, everything returns to normalcy. But I think also if this persists through the summer and you don't have visits, you don't have camps, you're going to see more and more guys jump in to some of these bigger schools because they're not going to be reevaluated. There, there's there's no tape or other stuff out there, and so they're trying to catch their spot. Where if you had these camps, both rivals camps and 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 you know Under Armour camps and whatever, but then specifically team camps, you know we know we know it firsthand. The board changes. How many guys in the last two or three classes has Tennessee decided they wanted based that worked out you know personally for guys on their staff? That now is not going to happen at least to nearly. Um, you know, in terms of the, the, the sheer number of athletes getting exposure like that. So I think you're going to see some of these guys jump at spots. And then, you know, what, what, what are the kind of domino effect of that? Do they back out later on or, or are, they, are they kind of, you know, secure in a, a, an avenue towards, hey, I'm going to at least get a bus ticket now and then we'll see what happens later. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a lot. I'm with you guys. I think the academics, I think they're going to get a relief there. So I think you're going to know you're going to get some help. Now, I think from the academic side, the bigger concern about it is going to be a year from now if the rule from the academics, as we mentioned in the war room, says, hey, you got to be back on track next May, and these kids don't get mini-term or part of summer school to remain on track because, as we know, they use those months to stay on track to begin with. But if you're having to make up because you got a little reprieve from this semester – then that makes that next fall really, really important. And next spring maybe a heavier academic load for everybody. So I think the academic side is a concern. It may be more on the back end than the front end. I think the recruiting question marks right now, how do you recruit? I mean, we're seeing Kansas doing a virtual junior day. How creative are you going to get with this stuff? How realistic can you – how beneficial is a, is a virtual junior day? Who knows? How you handle that stuff I think is going to be really, really – how creative these people get in recruiting to make recruiting work is going to be interesting. 
And then what do they do with the calendar? What does the NCAA do with the calendar? I think is the other factor that's going to be really interesting for, for all sports out there. All right, let's get well, into the, these. Uh, okay, I was, good, I was just going to – my final thought on this, the, 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 the third piece of this puzzle is just going to be player accountability in terms of players on said teams. Now, we're, we're kind of focusing this specifically on football and basketball, but with spring practice being missed, both academically um, and then what happens in the summer, you know, I mean, this is guys in terms of playbook retention, guys in terms of continuing to work out. It's, it's going to take a lot of personal responsibility, and, and that's what's going to be pretty fascinating across the country of how many guys show up, you know, back on campus whenever it does happen, you know, knowing all the stuff they're supposed to have known in terms of, you know, testing retention uh, just for the for the playbook and schemes. And then obviously just for the conditioning and the workouts, that's that's going to be kind of fascinating to see how that unfolds. Yeah, it wasn't long ago. I mean, it was long ago, but I'm it's not long for me because I'm old now. But I, I remember years ago, Philip Fulmer being angry. I guess it was in 94, 90, I guess, 94. Jeff Smith, who was an offensive lineman, went home for the summer or for part of summer. He's a he's a starter, and he came back, you know, out of shape and was in the doghouse because he had to do all this extra conditioning and ended up not starting that year. Uh, eventually, got back into the starting lineup, but that was a senior who you say you know what kind of shape he he knows what he has to be in. Didn't have the discipline at that point in his life to come back into shape that that Philip Fulmer wanted him in. So. It's not just about can young players be mature and handle this, but even some of your veteran players who have played a lot, will they have that commitment level, Jesse, that, that you're talking about in uh, all factors of being a student athlete when somebody's not got their thumb on you all the time, so to speak. All right, let's jump into the questions here. Uh, we'll start with uh, uh, Galilee. Robbie says he got called out of requirement of retirement. He's hearing balls are deep in it for Chandler and uh, I guess it's how do you pronounce it? C I Musa Cisse Cisse. All right. Could they be the first two Vols that? Could they be the first two that the Vols steal? Can the Vols get those guys? Oh, I, mean, I think Tennessee is deep in it, and um, you know I mentioned previously Tennessee was had, had an official visit in the works for Cisse, who is trying to reclassify into 2020. Um, you know I think Tennessee would certainly be interested in that. And obviously they need a departure from the current roster. I, I won't be remotely surprised if that happens. In fact, I, I would kind of expect it to at this point. The only official visit he's taken so far as a junior was the Florida State. I think the Seminoles are in that one. But in talking to some people just this week, it feels like Tennessee is probably more concerned about Auburn, Memphis, Kentucky. Um, you know, right now, I think it's up in the air just with the, you know, the hold on recruiting. But I, I think Tennessee is, feels like they are very much in the thick of it for CSA. I've had some people tell me that they think Tennessee may lead for Kennedy Chandler. Now, it's early, and and, the, and Kennedy certainly has not come out and said that. The nation's top point guard, number 10 prospect in the country. That would be a huge coup. But, you know, he's one of those private school kids that, you know, history shows that, that you know, some of those guys ha have left Memphis in the past. But Tennessee fighting K Kentucky, they're fighting Duke. Uh, he's, he's taken an official visit to Syracuse. He's been to Florida State. But Tennessee got him on campus last fall. That was huge. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to predict Tennessee gets him right now, but I think they, they feel really good about where they're at with Kennedy. I, I don't think it hurts that he's teammates with Omari Thomas and Jabari Smalls. Oh, I agree. And, 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 and Rob, how would you compare his speed with Jordan Bone? Because watching him play Catholic and B.J. Edwards in the state title game, his ability to get coast-to-coast -coast in a hurry – 
was impressive. Oh yeah, I think I mean I think he's in that class. Now, I don't know if he's as fast as Jordan. I mean the guy who you know kind of shattered the the uh, some of the testing at the NBA uh, prospect camp last summer, but he can fly, and that, that's one of the reasons Tennessee loves him. I mean he he can absolutely get up and down. All right, let's go to Deshaun thirteen or Deshaun thirteen. What does fall camp look like? Do they get extra practices added? And do we see more injuries because of the time off when season starts? Again, all this provided that you get back to the season. Let's, Jesse, I'll start with you on that question. I mean, right now, you know, the, the, the current schedule of the calendar is that you can't start practicing for fall camp until August 1. Um, and I think right now it's there's still so many unknowns, it's too early to say. I would advocate – you know, if, if teams are back on campus by July, that they add some practices. Now, how strenuous will these practices be because of his secondary question in terms of injuries? I would think coaches would be very careful um, with, with so many kids coming off. You don't know exactly what their conditioning level is. Um, but I do think that they would maybe lock up some, some rules in terms of coaches being able to kind of do stuff with the ball, let's say hypothetically sometime in July, if teams are back on campus. What do you think, AP? Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, you look at, you know, to me, you look at making July, if that's, if that, let's say that, you know, everything's back open for business come July 1, I think that that would be normally in the middle of a dead period, but I would advocate, and I think a lot of people will advocate for the fact that there'll be no dead period at that point, that you'll be able to recruit, you'll be able to have uh, prospect camps if you want to, you'll be able to, you know, have, you know, uh, recruits on your campus, uh, you know, and then, um, and then two, um, you know, I, I would also say that, you know, you probably ought to to make it an extended camp, allow for more practices with, you know, most of college football not getting in, you know, um, you know, any or, or, or very little, um, you know, spring practice. So, you know, the teams that come out, you know, smell like a rose in that deal are teams like Clemson that started a little bit earlier. They got nine of their 15 in. Alabama didn't get any in. Tennessee got two in. Um, so, you know, I, I think that you'll see significant rule changes just based off of, you know, the year and the circumstance uh, that we're presented with right now. Yeah, I, you know, I think they're going to let them go back with some formal stuff, maybe not in pads, but I think they'll let coaches get involved with players in July with some skill development stuff, at least along with conditioning. If everything is somewhat back to, to normal, we're back on campuses in July. I think you have to open up that window there. But again, if you open up the recruiting window there, now you got a heck of a challenge for coaches to manage. So again, all yeah. of this is unknown. We'll have to see what happens with that moving forward. Let's go to Iron Ball. I'm going to start with his bonus question. AP or Jesse, each recruiting class, you usually have a guy who's kind of the important guy for the class for peer recruiting perception, being a leader in the class, whatever. Uh, last year, a lot of people thought that guy was Keyshawn Lawrence. Get him in the boat. Some other guys would follow. He was a big part of the recruiting deal. According to Ironball, who is the prospect for 21 for Tennessee in that regard? Is there a guy out there? You know, I don't know if there – I mean, I don't think Tennessee's going after it. You know, the, Tennessee likes Caden Salter, but I don't think he would have any say with a lot of the recruits that Tennessee's in on. He's a Texas kid. And, of course, Tennessee, while they want to still recruit nationally, they're still going to recruit regionally. Uh, most of all, um, is there a North the Carolina kid that that if you got one of those? I mean, look, we see what Max doing over there. Not sure you can slow that train down, but if you got a Dillsworth or you uh, Dillworth or you got one of these guys to jump in in North Carolina, Austin, w was there enough relationship ties there that could help you in that state with others? Uh, you know, maybe a Javari Ritzy. I mean, Isaac Washington's got a pretty good personality to him. 
Um, in the state of Tennessee, I'm not sure there there is one set guy because everything's so spread out in 2021. Um, I also Junior just Col- don't think some Ju- of these guys have that personality. Yeah, Junior Colson's a quiet kid. Um, Walker Merrill, much the same. Um, you look at William Griffin, um, then Dietrich Pennington. I mean, none of those guys are big personalities, um, whereas Keyshawn was a big personality. Um, obviously, Tyler could command a room. Uh, and then, of course, anytime you have a big-time quarterback, I think that helps. Not that I, I think, you know, um, Harrison landed a bunch of recruits in this past year that came here because he was here, but I do think that he was able to have uh, substantial conversations with kids and, and help in that regard. I don't think you necessarily get that uh, with anybody in this 2021 class as of now. Now, it could change. Somebody could morph. I mean, every year somebody becomes more of a leader on their high school football team than they ever thought they could be the year before. So who's to say that can't happen in a recruiting class? Yeah, right. may, maybe, maybe, maybe a guy like Elijah Howard can emerge as that voice. But again, yeah. I think it's just—I think it's just going to be hard. I'm, I'm in agreement with AP. I don't think there's an obvious like alpha in, in the 21 class for Tennessee in terms of a personality, a cult of personality that kind of gets guys uh, together. Again, last year I think they had more than one. I mean, this—you know—this poster identified Keyshawn, but Harrison. Certainly had a voice behind the scenes, as 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 AP said, Tyler Barron. Even though he waited until the umpteenth hour to commit, Cooper was I mean, around he, all the time. Yeah, Tyler and Cooper were, were big time presences behind the scenes, and so um, obviously you saw the domino effect with the three Whitehaven kids. So I, I don't see that. You know, I think anytime you can have a local kid, I think anytime you can have a local kid or two that you know can hey hey come to campus. So and so just came in today, and they got a ten minute drive over. I think that helps. There's nobody in Knoxville for this 2021 class. There's, I mean, like Elijah Howard's at least an hour away. The two kids at Bradley Central. Um, I continue to hear things like Auburn and North Carolina for those kids. Um, you know, so Tennessee, I think if they're going, you know, want to go down that road with with Javon Burke or Trey Curry, they need to, you know, up the uh, up the pressure a little bit. Um, you know, but. Uh, Those kids are 45 minutes to an hour away. So, again, it was always really easy when Cade was a recruit. It's been easy when Cooper and Tyler have been here for them to come over, to run over and help, you know, host a kid who's part of the class. There's nobody in this class for uh, 2021. Yeah. All right. Iron Vol's other question. Rob, jump on in here, too, as well. What's your favorite UT storyline of all time? Could be a feel-good story. A game that brings back some nostalgia, happiness from childhood. For instance, the Iron Balls is Chris Lofton fighting off cancer uh, and still being able to be a, a heck of a player. I'm going to use this as a segue here to kind of promote this. We had this in the war room. Starting Monday, we're going to do a weekly podcast where we travel down the road of some old games and tell some stories behind the scene of, of the old games, but also break down uh, some things in those old games. We're going to watch 12 games, thanks to LWS Ball putting them all on YouTube for us. We're going to watch 12 old games, and we're going to come back and break them down and kind of talk about the significance of, of those wins, some behind-the-scenes stuff, what you saw in those games. So that's something that we're going to do each Monday over the course of the next 12 weeks. I think you guys are really going to enjoy that. For me, in terms of stories I've written, I won't say storyline. But the three stories that I've written since I've been at VolQuest that have always resonated with me and have continued with was the story I wrote on Kevin Simon and what he overcame uh, with the knee injuries and fighting through that, the loss of his brother Ken um, and and the significance of of that in his life and and what the motivation he had from the loss of his brother for his football motivation and was his recovery from his knee injury. 
obviously the Inky Johnson story, Rob, stands out to me as well. And then one of my favorites will always be uh, the, the feature I wrote about Wes Brown and just what playing football at Tennessee, specifically Tennessee, meant to Wes Brown. That's always going to be three of my favorites that I've written. I mean, this was you, you were around, but this was before my time at VolQuest. But I think just you know, favorite storylines for me to off the top of my head, I have to think about Peyton coming back for his senior year. That one, sure, that was pretty significant. I mean, obviously, it didn't work out the way he had hoped, but uh, that was, I mean, he was already going to be a Tennessee legend, but that pretty much submitted his place, you know, on Tennessee's Mount Rushmore, I think. Yeah, I think that one was certainly a huge one. Austin, anything for you? Um, you know, I, there's, there's a lot of good stories, a lot of good games. Um, you know, I, I think 05 LSU, to me, that one will always stand out because it was such a different atmosphere that night. First game after Hurricane Katrina, and everybody remembers, you know, the LSU fans busting out the windows on Tennessee's team bus and, you know, Tennessee's miraculous rally behind Rick Clawson after Eric Kane's, you know, ole over the shoulder there going around the goalpost. And, uh, you know, that, that, that one, you know, to me that was as good a, you know, comeback – as I've seen, um, just you know, based off the circumstance, the atmosphere you're playing in. I mean, think about it. The Saints played their first game after Hurricane Katrina, and they snowballed that win over the Falcons. Things could have easily snowballed on Tennessee, and it sure looked like it was going to, and they were able to come back and prevail behind Gerald Riggs and, and Rick Lawson. Yeah, that game actually is going to be one of our nostalgia games that we travel back through in, in the 12 Mondays that we do that. But uh, certainly that's a, a store or a game that – if you find it on online, you kind of find yourself watching it for an extended period of time. All right, let's get rolling on some more questions here. I'm going to kind of combine uh, VFL 84 and Bassmaster Vols question, and that is recruiting momentum, any kind of traction with some higher-ranked recruits to get things going. All this is kind of in a shutdown mode right now. Ohio State, as you mentioned, Austin has had a run. Does Tennessee have any momentum that you feel like they're there with anybody right now? Yeah, I think Tennessee's got a lot of momentum with Walker Merrill. Um, I think they've got a, mo- a lot of momentum with Jalen Wright. Um, and then, you know, I-, I think the best thing that could happen to Tennessee, because, again, he, he was getting ready to go to Ohio and Ohio State, and, and that got canceled, uh, was, you know, getting, you know, um, Hudson Wolf on campus right there before the, the dead period started. And, you know, being able to, you know, be the last thing that he saw you know, for the next, you know, month or two. I think that's big. And so um, I'm not saying Tennessee's going to get Hudson, but I think that they were kind of on the outside, and now I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore. I think they're very much in it uh, for the big rangy tight end. And, Jesse, we saw him that day when he walked in the complex. He is a specimen and, and long. Yeah, I mean, and, but he and he's a guy that I think Tennessee's A, he's – I mean, he, Tennessee needs to land Hudson Wolf. Position of need, in-state kid – um, he's been on campus a bunch of times. We, he's told us multiple times in interviews, you know, that he grew up a ball fan. Now, now he has also been very clear that, you know, that's not going to um, overwrite some sort of final decision. But the fact that he Tennessee got the, you know, his final visit for what could be several months, he has started to develop a relationship there with Joe Osavet. Got to like Tennessee's chances there. Um, the fact that Tennessee, again, they were able to stymie kind of some of Georgia's momentum with Ritzy. You know, a guy that AP has noted that is very high on the board. I know Peyton Page, uh, Tennessee's continues to recruit there. But, you know, Ritzy and Isaac Washington, and they now have Washington back in the fold, uh, this staff covets just as hard, if not more. And so the fact that, you know, 
they were the last team to get to get uh, Ritzy on campus. Tennessee was the last team to kind of get FaceTime um, with uh, with some of those PA kids who, again, I think they're trailing for some of those guys. But for the Vols to kind of be in the mix there, I think that's important as we kind of enter several months of uncertainty. So I'm not sure that Tennessee's going to get a commit in the next you know week or two like Ohio State's been popping. But I think they like their, where they stand with some guys in this class. All right, Bronco Vol wants to know, where are Breedlove, Huey, and Ruben on the defensive backboard? Uh, I think Breedlove's down the uh, down the board a little bit, and so is Huey. All right, let's go to Jake Dog 13 Who all is on the running back board, and where does Tennessee stand with Cody Brown? Austin, I'll start with you. Jesse, you can jump in there as well. I think Tennessee's in a good spot with Cody Brown. By no means is it done. Um, you know, he was wanting to take all of his official visits this summer. Obviously, now that uh, doesn't look like that will happen. Um, so how does his recruitment change? Does he still take all of his official visits, or does he feel comfortable enough with a particular school to want to get into the boat somewhere? Uh, I think it's Tennessee or Auburn um, for Cody Brown at this point. Um, and uh, I think Tennessee's also, like I said earlier, in a good spot with Jalen Wright, who's a, a track star out of North Carolina, got a great film, can really pick him up and put him down from a speed standpoint. Um, outside of that, they would love to get LJ Johnson on campus, the young man from Texas, big time running back, a top 50 player nationally. Um, he was set to come in at the end of the month. Obviously, that's put a halt on, you know, that with, with the coronavirus. So, again, Tennessee set to get visits with several big time guys. Dilworth was supposed to come back the first of April. Obviously, LJ Johnson was coming in, not getting those kids in. How does it affect Tennessee and their ability to be a major player in the recruitment of certain kids? I think it, it could really put a damper on some of the, the chances, you know, going forward unless maybe they, you know, they can get back to July 1. And, but at that point, you're going to have so many schools clamoring for these kids to come there. You know, you're going to find out real quick how, how important a school is to a prospect. All right, let's go, yeah, well, to, I gonna, go ahead. I was, I was just going to add, too, on the running back board specifically – uh, Tennessee, they're in a good spot with Jalen Wright. With Evan Pryor committing to Ohio State earlier this week, I think you're going to see some dominoes in terms of the, the top running backs across the country uh, in terms of numbers and how they, they, they shake out. You know, Georgia, whether it's Donovan Edwards, they're looking at Travion Henderson. Tennessee would have liked to be in that Travion Henderson conversation, but they have obviously pivoted hard uh, because they did get Cody Brown on campus. They have you know, maintained a strong relationship there. So if Tennessee is able to land Wright and Cody Brown, I think that's a pretty good one-two yeah, punch. I think that's a great one-two punch, and they complement yeah, each and, other. And, and Cody's a guy who I think, you know, ha- has a chance to kind of continue to rise. I mean, he plays for a really good team, um, or he plays, you know, for a high level uh, in Georgia. And so, you know, he, he is he's close to that kind of blue chip back that they've been looking for. Yeah, the, yeah, thing, he, I like, the thing I like about Cody, too, Austin, as well, is the fact that, he doesn't have to carry the freight the entire time for that team. They have a compliment there, guy, that guy. So I don't think he's going to be a guy who has some stupid amount of number of carries by the end of his senior year, which I think is good for any college out there recruiting a running back. Yeah, and then again, he, he's got enough speed, but just incredibly tough to tackle and tough to, tough to get down. And you're right, Jesse. He plays on a really good high school team there at Parkview. They lost in the semifinals to Marietta and Harrison Bailey this past year. Uh, and, and, you know, as a couple of different 7A coaches told Brent and I when we were down in Atlanta last month, 
they're probably the favorite to win 7A this coming year. And he's already over 200 pounds, which we know that's what Jeremy wants. Yeah, he's a big back for sure. All right, I Heart Vols wants to know, there are probably too many unknowns on UT's coaching staff to be able to rank them versus the rest of the league. But whose staff in the league do you think will be most improved this year and whose staff will take the biggest step back? Also, how do you think Scott Cochran's move to UGA will affect Georgia and Alabama? Rob, I'll start with you. On Cochran? Uh, just start on Cochran. What do you think of that move, and how big I mean, an I, impact does it have on Georgia and Alabama? I mean, I think you look at what Alabama's done. I mean, I'm not saying somebody else can't come in there, but, I mean, we know how important all these coaches view their strength guys. I mean, I think that's pretty significant. I mean, just the fact that you're you're starting over. Now, I'm sure Saban, you know, has a pretty ironclad idea of what kind of program he wants in place. But, golly, I mean, it's hard to ignore, you know, you, you make the jokes about, you know, deer antler spray or whatever, but Alabama – has been outstanding in that phase of their program, you know, the whole time Saban's been there. So it's hard to hard for me to think that that's not a blow. All right, let me ask you this. I want to ask this question a different way because I'm with iHeartVols. I don't think you can say who's going to take the biggest step back. Who do you think is the biggest unknown staff in the conference for this fall, uh, pr- provided we're playing football? Is it Sam Pittman? Is it Mike Leach adjusting to the SEC? Who's the biggest unknown staff-wise? When you look at who they put together, which program has the biggest unknowns going into this season? Well, I, I, I mean, I, th- I think Sam has built a nice staff at Arkansas, but I put this on the board two days ago, guys. And AP, see if you agree with me. I think every new coaching staff in the SEC, the guys that took over Kiffin, Pittman, Leach, Drinkowitz, all these guys, I think they face a major uphill battle in year one, and I would not be surprised if every single one of those guys gets an extra year added to their contract at some point because I think it's going to be a lost season for them. The fact that they're missing so much, whether it's spring practice, all the offseason, summer work, who knows when we get back together, I think it's going to be a major challenge for these new coaches in year one, which is why Tennessee, if you look at it from their perspective, they have some, obviously, they've had a ton of staff movement, but the continuity with the same two coordinators, and you're probably looking at Jarrett Garantano as a fifth-year quarterback, I think that's why you may see some teams, some folks actually say, hey, the Vols may actually climb up in some of these power ratings because they return so much. I, I think Leach yeah, I and Kiffin are just, I was just going to say, I think Leach and Kiffin are, are fascinating. I mean, I don't know if they face the biggest challenge, but I, I think injecting those two personalities in this league just makes it a lot more fun. I, I think Brent brings up a good point about just Leach being in this league. I mean, it's one thing to compete, you know, at an obscure school in the in the Pac-12. It, it's one thing to compete, you know, in the Big 12 at Texas Tech and kind of an obscure school. But, you know, to to try to do this at Mississippi State in the SEC West, I, I just think that's a – I think you'd stand a better chance if you rolled into to Vanderbilt. You know, I really do. I mean, the East is weaker. Um I think it's just uh, that that's going to be really tough. But Jesse brings up a great point with the fact that all yep. these new coaches, <laughs> I mean, the first time they can really go out and, and, and do a spring evaluation, they're not going to be allowed to not have a spring practice. I mean, like this is like, you know, it's almost like every one of these new coaches that he's talking about, they're almost like a new high school that starts playing JV for a year before they get to a varsity schedule. <laughs> That's how I would view this this next season for those schools because that's what it's kind of like. I mean, it's going to be, you know, trial by error. I mean, you know, a lot of those schools, and it's not like they landed some, you know, awesome class that's going to come in and set the world on fire. Um, they much like Pruitt and them did. They kind of took some reaches 
Um, so we'll be interested to kind of see how all that plays out. But, you know, I think Jesse brings up a good point in that. Oh, I think it's a great point. And, and I don't know if they're going to get an extra year on the contract or not, but I think your comparison to almost playing like a JV deal, working your way in, is going to sort of be what it's like for some of those folks. I, mean, I look at a guy like Mel Tucker, who got late to Colorado, from Colorado to Michigan State. He hasn't installed anything at Michigan State yet. I mean, how far behind are they going to be? Same with these other coaches in the SEC as well. All right, LF Ball, as we run through the last few questions here. Of the elite outside linebackers we're on, who are the two best Tennessee's position for? Any of those guys expected to make a position or make a decision soon? Jesse, I'll let you take this one. I mean, I th- you know, they've, they've gotten Junior Colson back on campus. They got Dylan Brooks back on campus. Uh, those are both guys they like. I think they obviously trail um, Georgia and some other schools for a guy like Judy, but they did at least get some face time with him, and Shelton Felton was able to kind of, you know, start building a relationship there. I would probably start with with Colson and Brooks. Brooks is going to be a major battle, I think, with Auburn and, and Alabama, uh, obviously. And then the last name, AP, is probably Damian Robinson. Yeah, I mean, I think Tennessee's in a, in a, in a good spot with Damian Robinson, but, you know Four months ago, Brent, I would have said that Tennessee is in a really good spot with Travion Henderson, and then you know more schools get in play, and and, and more schools are going to get in play for Damian Robinson. I think Colson's one that you look take a hard, hard, hard look at, and you got to make a serious, serious run at. He's in your state; it makes a ton of sense. Dylan Brooks, you have natural ties with family here in West Knoxville, and you know Jeremy and Ansley have a really good relationship with him. And I think he's more open to leaving that state than most. Now, it's still going to be an uphill climb, you know. And and I I would still say, you know, if you're taking Tennessee versus the field, you're still definitely taking the field. But I do think that they've got a better shot with him than they probably had with any of these other big-time guys from the state of Alabama the last couple of years. So, you know, those would be the top three. Travali Price would be another one, uh, defensive end to kind of stand-up backer from over in North Carolina. Um, that uh, then, I think Tennessee would want to take a hard look at as well. Yeah, and he was supposed like, to come in. He was supposed to come in the, the weekend that it all had last weekend. He was supposed to be here last weekend when it all went south. And then, and then a guy like Munden, you know, can they can they beat out Georgia and, and some other schools for him? You know, and 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 Dillsworth, same thing. Now I think both those guys are maybe a little bit more hybrid, uh, you know, inside and outside guys. But the, the, there are other names to watch. But I think that the the aforementioned trio um, is probably the, the top of, of Tennessee's best chances right now. All right, James Millis wants to know, how is the university risk planning for a canceled and fanless college football season with regards to missing revenue that the university counts on to fund other activities? I'm going to take this one. We'll move right on real quick. I think everybody's operating right now with, a, with the, to borrow Sankey staying, the glass half full. I don't think anybody has put in – are gotten to the point that they're putting in provisions of what happens if we don't if we don't have a football season. I don't think anybody has gone down that road yet at any university level, the NCAA level, or, or at the conference commissioner level. I just think that everybody's waiting to see, but I think we're still down the road from really that becoming the forefront of somebody's thinking and, and planning at this point. All right, let's go to Vol Ken right quick here. He's got a couple of questions. Are there any players that you guys think will really benefit from the position coaching changes that happened here at Tennessee? Rob, we'll start with you. Anybody benefit from a new tight ends coach, new inside backers coach, um, or running backs coach, et cetera? I mean, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm not casting this aspersions at, at David Johnson. I mean, I think he did a nice job, but I mean, I, I think, you know, Jay Graham from 
dealing with him in the past from seeing what he's done at his stops at Florida State, Texas A&M. I think, and again, I'm not saying David Johnson did a bad job. I think that's an upgrade, though, just based on what Jay's gotten done in his career. Yeah, I think one position, Austin, is, you know, from a personality standpoint, that tight end spot with, with Brian Niedermeyer leaving and moving over to the other side, does Osavat maybe like one of these redshirt freshmen a little bit better? Does one of the redshirt freshmen – take to his coaching maybe a little bit better what about a guy like Jacob Warren who's got a fresh start with a new coach I wonder about that position a little bit well I mean I think anytime you just have a coaching change anybody that was kind of buried or or not got didn't have a lot of traction sees that as a new lease on life so I mean like I think the inside linebackers see Brian Niedermeyer's move over there is a chance to you know uh, a new start for them much like some of those tight ends you know the Jacob Warrens um, you know obviously you know you look at a guy like Princeton Fant um, you know, th- those those guys are, are looking for a kind of a um, a big step towards more playing time. And so I think anytime you can get a, a change, I think everybody kind of gets reinvigorated because I think they feel like they have a new lease. Now, that doesn't change the work habits. That doesn't change some of the reasons they might have on, not, might not have been on the field anyway. But, you know, I do think if anytime you have a change that the players get a little more pep in their step because they feel like they've got a, you know, a, kind of a, a you know, a, clean slate all right let's i'm going to combine these last two here there are a couple of these last ones here volkin wanted to know also about what's the situation now with a guy like chase hayden uh there's also a question on here about how does you know this this affect guys maybe looking at transferring potentially after spring practice how much does this affect the transfer market jesse i'll start with you well i i think it just i i think we're hitting pause but you're gonna you're seeing guys continue to kind of throw their names into the portal, but right now that portal was like a black hole. I mean, it's it. I have no idea when you're gonna. You know, I mean, it. I don't. You know, what what Chase Hayden was supposed to visit at the end of March, right? AP. Uh, uh, April fourth. End of April, April. Yeah, it's the end of March, beginning of April. So obviously now that's not gonna happen. Uh, I, I mean, I'll, the, the ramifications I think are continue continue to be kind of be unknown. What do you think about Chase, AP? Well, I think that. You know, I talked to Aaron the other day, and you know, at the time, it was just, it was just kind of not, you know, you weren't going to be able to go on practice, you know, on campus for, you know, for spring. Now, all of a sudden, the thought that it may be July one, you know, how, I think that changes things for him or, or anybody. That, yeah, for him or anybody. I mean, I, th- you know, now luckily he's got two years, so this is not a one-off. You know, whoever he signs with, whether it's here or somewhere else, they're going to get him for two seasons. So I think that's a bonus and a feather in his cap. You know, in my mind, if you're taking a, a chance on a grad transfer with just one year left, you know, what's he been doing during this downtime? Because what if he's kind of gotten himself out of shape, like Brent was talking about with Jeff Smith from 1994, it, it, all of a sudden you take a guy that takes you six weeks to, to get any kind of, you know, real production out of him. Is it worth taking him? You know, because he, he's going to count, you know, uh, you know, ahead to the 2021 class or however, you know, depending on whether you have room in the previous class, I mean, he's going to count against your numbers. So um, I'm interested to kind of see how, you know, all the grad transfer market shifts, um, you know, over the next couple of months, because if you can't take official visits, you can't go see places unless you've just got locked in place. I think you're going to be, you know, under the gun, you know, come summertime, because really, I mean, I think in a perfect world, Chase was going to take visits this spring, and then June first, he was going to be somewhere, whether that's here or somewhere else. And all the, you know, now all of a sudden, 
it puts him behind the eight ball, trying to learn someplace because you know he's not going to be able to even take a visit for for quite a while. Yeah, yeah and I was, I was just going to say, I mean, you, if you do take a grad transfer, you want that guy here as soon as possible. So it's going to put all those guys in a tough spot. They're not going to be on campus for all, you know all season workouts until who knows when. Yeah, I just wonder if guys are hesitant about transferring, and certainly schools are just hesitant about taking a transfer. Because, again, it's given up a scholarship and initial in, in those cases, in many cases. So I, I just I don't know if coaches are going to be hesitant to that without having a chance to visit with them and get them here for an extended period of time. All right, Vol Lover wants to know, know that this is a great question. Obviously, with Cade Mays, they're going, to make, they're going to grant him immediate eligibility, right? With everything that's going through, is there any chance the NCAA says, no, we're not going to give you eligibility for this upcoming year? Don't There's you think absolutely a chance. You, you I, I don't think they get a free pass to those guys. I, I agree. I agree with you that they should go ahead and rubber stamp and green light these kids. But the fact that they have already come out in the middle of this, you know, crisis and virus, <clears> and basically said, "Hey, we're gonna put we're gonna put press pause on the whole likeness deal." I mean, because they lost all that money, you know, uh, for the for March Madness. I, I nothing surprises me with the NCAA. Yeah, I agree with this. I mean, like now all of a sudden, because of all that's going on, the all the other decisions they're having to make about spring sports and this and that, and you're talking about waivers for academics. Like, how quick are they going to get to you know Cade's appeal and others? You know, I mean, this is you know, who, who knows? I mean, you're right. The easy thing is to rubber stamp, you know, the the stuff. But you know, as I said earlier, when I said you know when I was talking about the NCAA. Uh, you know, from an academic standpoint, you know, there's no guarantee. There, there's no guarantee that they're going to see things the same way, uh, you know, most everybody else does. Hey, we want to thank our friends at uh, Blue Water Climate Control for their continued support of the VolQuest.com podcast and uh, what they've done for us. Don't forget they have their smooth selling service plan for more details about what all that includes, uh, which includes some uh, bonus money you can occur over a period of time towards a new system, but prioritize response to any issue that you have, inspections, all those things. Call them up at 865-299-2290. Ask them about their smooth sailing service plan. Check them out at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com, or you can visit them on Twitter at bluehto underscore climate. That's going to do it for this edition of the VolQuest.com uh, podcast, the mailbag edition. Don't forget We've got some other podcast stuff coming up starting next week. We'll have more on that. We had more in the war room about it. More details on that coming up this weekend. For Jesse Simonton, Rob Lewis, and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend, everybody.